All right. So, um, there were there were many incredible teachings in Buddhism. It's actually quite a vast landscape, and we can spend decades studying it and still not know all the different teachings. It's it's quite astounding and quite beautiful. Science of mind, quite quite a map. And more than a map, it's a territory that we can travel through practice. When the Buddha was asked what was the fundamental teaching to end sorrow and bring peace, he taught mindfulness. He taught this practice that we were just doing of really coming into the present moment, which is all there is learning to be able to see for ourselves that thought is something that's happening in the present moment and that it and there that we are in it's not necessary to identify with it or be lost in the trance of thought we can employ this other incredible aspect of mind mindfulness and mindfulness is like a light that helps us see what's happening and with the clarity of seeing we then begin to cultivate wisdom wisdom is knowing what really brings well-being to the world to our communities and to ourselves and what does not what really increases our stress and suffering. We see it for ourselves with mindfulness. And more than that, with mindfulness, we can see like right in the moment what's going on here. Impermanence, impersonality. And one of the insights that that mindfulness brings, but that's also evident as we look even from a more mundane view is the power of kindness the power of friendliness and the word for friendliness in Pali as many of us know is metta m-e-t-t-a which comes from the Pali word mita which means friend friendliness So just take a moment right now and reflect on this quality of friendliness. What, how do you recognize it in yourself or others when it's there? What's happening? And in fact, if you don't mind just typing something into the chat, whatever comes to mind um, with this uh, idea of friendliness, I'll read them aloud. What do you see and what do you feel? Warmth, openness, openness. Interesting, right? Openness, open-heartedness and warmth. Mm -hmm. Smiling face, yes. Kindness. Sincereness. Yeah, sincerity, authenticity, beautiful. 
happy. Mm -hmm. Friendliness has a happy affect. Welcoming. Yeah. Fondness and joy. Beautiful. Affection, right. Yeah. So we, we recognize these, these, these sort of the kind of, it feels almost like if friendliness were the sun, you're describing kind of the rays that come out of it and all these different beautiful words, affection, fondness and joy, welcoming, welcoming happiness, joy, sincereness, kindness, smiling face, warmth, openness. Yeah. So we recognize this. And now just take a moment and think how that feels. How it feels when you receive it from someone. Feels really good. And we have the capacity, we have a human capacity to offer that spontaneously in moments, often like puppies and kittens and but for you it could be frogs or it could be nature or it could be you know a dear friend the Dalai Lama some something that brings out these feelings these these rays of the sun of friendliness So the Buddhist teaching on, on this friendliness was that we, to, to deepen in well-being, we cultivate it for all beings and for ourselves. And Carol just added, showing interest in the other person. That's right. There's an attention, a quality of interest. So, what we often notice is that for many, not all people, but for many people, it's easier to offer this quality of friendliness outwardly, and we're not as conditioned to offer it inwardly. In fact, we're often conditioned not to offer it inwardly taught at some point that that's self-absorbed or selfish or narcissistic. Dr. Martin Luther King said, he was speaking to a group of young people. He said, you know, a lot of people don't love themselves and they go through life with deep and haunting emotional conflicts. Life being short means that you must love yourself. And you know what loving yourself also means? It means you've got to accept yourself. And he goes on in this same speech. There should be a deep belief in your own dignity, your own worth, 
and your own somebodyness. Don't allow anybody to make you feel that you are nobody. Always feel that you count. Always feel that you have worth and always feel that your life has ultimate significance. And that's particularly poignant coming from Dr. King being delivered to a group of African-American youth in the 60s. But all of us, regardless of race or privilege or age, this, this applies to us all. Having that sort of inner sunshine available supports well-being, supports us on the path to freedom from suffering and the causes of suffering. So the lack of, of friendliness in Buddhism that's taught as the opposite of metta, the opposite of loving kindness, is aversion, not liking, hating, negative judgment. And we all know this. It's not always applied to ourselves. The mind also applies it outward. Unfortunately, that capacity for the mind to judge and compare is hardwired into the limbic part of our brain. However, it's also possible to bypass it and cultivate this ability to be friendly and spacious, patient and tolerant and accepting toward ourselves and others. And some of us have that conditioning as well and others of us can grow that conditioning through practice. It's why we practice. Because we can deepen in whatever qualities we intentionally cultivate. So the lack, the aversion, the dislike, the negative judgment, mindfulness can recognize that it's there. T.S. Eliot said, what is this self inside us, this silent observer, severe critic who can terrorize us and urge us on to futile activity and in the end judge us still more severely for the errors into which this very critic drove us. So poignant. What is it? I want to just spend some time with this before we go on to come back to this notion of friendliness and cultivating it. So I've been having, I'm actually working on a book on this topic. And as part of my work for the book, I've been um, having conversations with people on Zoom about their experience of self-friendliness or its lack. And somebody, one woman that I spoke with recently said this, uh, I thought captured what I've been hearing from a lot of people and what I also know in my own experience. She said, I had this view that was deeply conditioned in me from a very, very young age that sprang from the circumstances in which I was born and raised, that there was something really wrong with me. Yeah. And no matter what I did, 
there was something wrong and I could never be seen from my, for my true heart or who I am. And so she said, I've worked with that a lot and it's still in the system and certain things can trigger it and it will come alive and it's really big. And I heard that from many practitioners, you know, we're all over the place and we change daily and moment to moment in terms of if there were a self-friendliness scale where we land on it. But many of us have these certain triggers that will just activate that mean inner voice. Another friend, it happens to her when she's confused about directions while driving. For some reason in her mind's conditioning, that is not okay and her critic gets activated. Many of us have it around our bodies or aging. Any way that we're perceiving non-perfection, the critic may step in. And what does it say? Well, for some people it doesn't speak, it's more a felt sense. And for others it's, a, it's very verbal. Some of the things I heard were, who the hell do you think you are? Who are you to do this or that thing that you want to do? You're nothing. That was dumb. How stupid. They won't like you. They don't like you. You can't do this. This may be familiar. Not good enough. Never good enough. It was better before, you were better before, it'll be better later, you'll be better later. Comparing mind, judging mind. This may be familiar to you. And if it is, just taking not too long with this, no point, but just feeling into the truth that when the mind goes down these alleyways of negative self-criticism, in those moments, we're not in well-being. We just feel that when the, when the mind is spewing that kind of stuff, it doesn't feel good in the body. It's the opposite of the friendliness and sunshine we were invoking earlier. But we've been taught we learned, we observed, we took in a certain kind of necessity of the inner critic. There's a belief in, I would guess most of us, certainly everybody I've talked to and the research, there is actually quite a bit of research on this wonderfully because of the work of Kristen Neff and the whole mindful self-compassion movement. Most Westerners believe that the inner critic is an important motivator to get things done and that without it we might not be as productive as we have to be or feel we need to be and so that's one of the big reasons why we keep employing it or keep feeling it needs to be there it's also deeply habituated so whether we feel it needs to be there or not it it can go so um I'm going to come back in a few minutes to the science around motivating with self-friendliness rather than self-criticism. But 
I want to share a story. So when I first encountered this in myself, this lack of self-friendliness in myself, I thought that, that there is that it was unique to me I, or that I was in some small segment of people who were dealing with this and that most people were fine. And then I read this book called Healing Emotions. It was published in 2003 by Daniel Goleman. And in that book, he recounts a conversation that the Dalai Lama was having with a number of uh, prominent Western Buddhist teachers, psychologists, doctors. I'm just going to quote a little bit from that chapter. The Dalai Lama is astounded to hear that many Westerners suffer from feelings of low self-esteem. There is no such concept as self-loathing or self-depreciation, or as the Dalai Lama puts it, a lack of compassion for oneself or self-directed contempt in Tibetan culture. So Sharon Salzberg says to the Dalai Lama, people often express that they can feel love and compassion for other beings more easily than for themselves. It's not that people wish to be happy and aren't. They wish to be happy, but feel they don't deserve it. They feel guilty as if it would somehow be wrong for them to be happy. And just as I'm reading this, you can either see if you yourself resonate or know people who kind of live with this internal belief system. After a long silence and a conversation in Tibetan, Alan Wallace comments that this concept is alien to His Holiness. The Dalai Lama says, Is this self-contempt or lack of compassion for oneself something that arises now and then as a result of specific circumstances, or is it an enduring mental trait? And Sharon Salzberg says, I think it's an enduring mental trait that's very commonly found in Western culture. And then Daniel Brown, a therapist says, cognitive therapists have discovered that many ordinary people carry on an incessant and very negative inner monologue. When they say to themselves, in effect, I can't do this, I hate myself, nothing good will ever happen, this becomes a constant habit even when people aren't aware of it. John Kabat-Zinn, Your Holiness, this problem of low self-esteem is very common in the West. People ordinarily are not even aware of the negative inner monologue. We see this in almost everybody who comes into the hospital with medical problems. People don't feel like they're worth much. And the Dalai Lama says, are these people violent? John Cabot said, no, they're normal, ordinary people. And then Sharon Salzberg, they're us, it's us. Meaning these people sitting in the room with the Dalai Lama at that moment. It's us. We're, it's epidemic. And here it is, like, bringing these, these moments of contraction, aversion, discomfort, lack of well-being in the misguided effort to motivate or corral us in some way. 
And if we can begin to learn to untangle that, to bring in warmth instead, to support ourselves with friendliness the way a good friend does, rather than with the harsh language of like a prison guard, our overall daily well-being, and this is what the Buddha taught, is deeply increased. The Buddha taught loving kindness as an antidote to aversion, including inner aversion. So I just want to say a little bit about uh, just some things that I've learned about the why of why we have, why in this culture, not in all cultures, but in mainstream Western culture, this is a thing. So I first want to quote Zen teacher Sherry Huber. She says, for most people, the judge came into existence as an attempt to get information about what they were doing wrong before other people had a chance to point it out. Small children live in a world of no. The judge tries to protect us from that pain by stopping us before someone else does. I think that's a pretty good analysis. We are, we've internalized a voice and we're, we're trying to belong, to not experience the pain of the outer no, so we create an inner no. So other things, there's all, uh, every human brain has evolved, I'm, I'm sure you've heard this before, with a fear-based negativity bias. Again, this is something that we can balance out with intentional practices, mindfulness, compassion, gratitude. They, they actually grow more neural, neural, neural networks up in the frontal part of the brain and, and balance out that negativity bias. But we do have that. And then there's the whole cultural things, like we're taught that it's not okay to need, like the shame of being needy, when in fact having need is a natural part of being a living being. So there's shame around need, not okay to be ordinary, the myth of perfection, which is huge in our capitalist culture, like our poor limbic brain takes in the this standard of excellence, which is not even real or true, and then negatively compares ourselves to that. The myths of happily ever after, as though if you do everything right, you'll land in the land of no stress, no pain, no suffering, and that's just not the truth about life. Joy and sorrow coexist. So, yeah, there's a number of things going on for us such that we grow up with and then internalize this voice. But as I said, the number one reason people give why they aren't kinder themselves is a fear of laziness or self-indulgence. And the research on the difference between motivating ourselves with compassion versus motivating ourselves with criticism is that criticism actually shuts us down. 
gives us a greater fear of failure, greater fear generally, aggravates the nervous system. And motivating ourselves with a healthy self-love, a sense of self-friendliness and self-compassion, you can do it. Let's just do one bit at a time and let's walk in the direction of what matters to us. I love you. The difference in terms of actually living the journey of motivation is night and day. And the difference in terms of the research is that people who motivate themselves with self-friendliness or self-compassion have less fear of failure, more resilience, and more willingness to keep going. Kristen Neff goes on to say, self-criticism is a type of safety behavior designed to ensure acceptance within the larger social group. This defensive posture stems from the natural desire not to be rejected and abandoned and makes sense in terms of our most basic survival instincts. So having some understanding and compassion around how it got conditioned and then depersonalizing it. And the first thing, and, and I'm hoping that this is sort of implied in what I'm saying and now I'm gonna make it overt, the first thing that really helps to depersonalize that inner critic is to get how common it is. And that it's actually a pretty universal struggle, struggle for Westerners. Not entirely, but pretty much. And the last thing I'll say about uh, the internal critic is that there's no social censure on internal dialogue. People often say, I would never let someone else speak to me the way I speak to myself. Um, and why? Why is it then that we speak to ourselves that way? Well, because there's, there's, no one, there's, no, there's no one stopping you. There's no one saying, hey, you can't talk like that. You know, it's just happening quietly here between our ears. No social censure on internal dialogue. So metta, again, comes from the word friend, friendliness. And I just want to read you a little bit about this from Sharon Salzberg. And if you haven't heard of her, she's a wonderful uh, Buddhist teacher, Western Buddhist teacher. The practice of metta, uncovering the force of love that can uproot fear, anger, and guilt, begins with befriending ourselves. The foundation of metta practice is to know how to be your own friend. According to the Buddha, you can search through the entire universe for someone who's more deserving of your love and affection than you are yourself, and that person is not to be found anywhere. You yourself, as much as anybody in the entire universe, deserves your love and, deserve your love and affection. How few of us embrace ourselves in this way. With metta practice, we uncover the possibility of truly respecting ourselves, and I would add, truly loving ourselves. We discover, as Walt Whitman put it, I'm larger and better than I thought. 
I did not think I held so much goodness. So when I've been asking people what they notice about self-friendliness, every I've talked to about 25 people so far, and every person so far has said that it positively, positively affects their happiness, which to me seems like, of course it does. Why wouldn't it? We're bringing in that friendly energy. It's going to be lift up our happiness. Um, someone said, it just opens my heart. And remember in your words at the beginning, a couple of, a couple of people put openness. Opens my heart. And that's related to relationships because if our hearts are open, we've cultivated this open heart through self-friendliness, hearts are open, and then we're more willing to be there for others. One person said, I don't want to hide when I'm self-friendly. Someone knocks on the door and I don't want to hide in my house. I want to open and say, come in. And you may be um, familiar with the teaching of the two arrows, the Buddhist teaching of the two arrows, that this first arrow is the inevitability of stress and pain, and we each get our measure of sorrow and suffering. And it hurts. No one's denying that it hurts. It hurts. It can hurt a lot. We have two possible ways of responding to that inevitable first arrow that comes in this ever-changing life. One is to respond with friendliness and care, compassion and presence. Or the other, and a sadly more common thing, is to shoot another arrow in, and that's the arrow of blame, self-blame, aversion, denial, addiction, all the kind of things we do to try to manage pain without just being present for it. And we don't blame ourselves for that, Sometimes pain is too hard to be present for. But what what another person said about what is it like, how does it affect your happiness when self-friendliness is present, she said, there's no second arrow. So I meet what's here as it is, and I don't attack myself for whatever's here. So the body isn't contracting around the second arrow thing just creates a lot more space to live in. And then I'll just share one more little story. She said, a half an hour ago, I got a call from my orthopedic doctor and I had a long standing near arthritis, but I rarely have pain and I hike a lot, do all this stuff thought there was no problem. When I went to see him two weeks ago, he said, your tibia is starting to degrade. I can see it on the x-ray. Let's do a CAT scan and then we'll get this surgery, get the knee replaced sooner than later. But then the call today, I learned that the knee deterioration is so far advanced that I'm gonna need bone grafts and more than one surgery. I'm still in shock but I'm holding myself in friendliness, shared humanity. I am almost 68, putting it in perspectives, part of what self-friendliness has given me. Aging is a thing, 
drawing on my resources that I've cultivated over the years. Ten years ago, I would have probably freaked out and attacked myself. But now I'm like, yeah, I'm in shock. And I'm going to do the next step. And that's it. I don't have to blow it up. I don't have to make this present moment unpleasant. So we have this ability which we can cultivate to be our own friend in these moments. Okay. So Thich Nhat Hanh says, everyone knows that peace has to begin with oneself, but not many people know how to do it. <laughs> so how do we cultivate self-friendliness? So there are, two, there are two teachings in Buddhism, which I'm going to share with you and I'll lead you in one. But even before we do that, I want to ask you to consider now how self-friendliness is already in your life. How do you take care of yourself? How do you show up for yourself? How do you inspire yourself? We each have, some of us may get out into nature or, you know, have a daily practice of making the bed when we get up or could be anything. Anyway, that'd be, I'd love for you to just pop into the chat, you know, so as a community, we can hear from each other. How does self-friendliness already show up in your life? Quite apart from Buddhist practice, just, or maybe it is Buddhist practice. Reminding myself to allow for joy. What a wonderful thing to remind yourself of. Allow for joy. Take on a lot. I had to take on a lot to incarnate. Oh, that's a nice perspective. Practicing yoga, taking time for myself in nature. Musical creativity. Stretch, yoga, and daily walking with my three women friends every morning. Wow, how wonderful. Anything else? Okay, well, something to think about. How is it already there? Because this isn't, these are, what, one of the things I love about Buddhist practice is that we're not in, Buddha didn't invent anything. 
What the Buddha did was notice. What's already here is natural part of the human psyche. And that it's possible with intention and practice to deepen the ones that really support our happiness. And those are mindful awareness and this energy of kindness or friendliness that we're talking about tonight. And then all the stuff that stems out of that. Out of kindness comes integrity, compassion, gratitude, patience, tolerance, forgiveness, generosity, truthfulness. It's a, it's a world. And it starts with just this natural human capacity for friendliness. Buddhist teacher Christina Feldman says, in the traditional teachings of metta, the cultivation of unconditional and immeasurable kindness towards ourselves is placed at the beginning of the path. So it's right here with us. You can search the entire world and not find anyone more deserving of kindness and care than yourself. She goes on, the most profound shift any of us can make as human being is the shift from aversion to kindness, from abandoning to befriending. It's a shift from creating and recreating patterns of suffering and anguish to cultivating and recultivating patterns of well-being and peace. From the most profound shift any of us can make as human beings is a shift from aversion to kindness and from abandoning to befriending. So what I want to say is we're not waiting for ourselves to become something lovable that somehow the, the perfectionist in our mind thinks is worthy of kindness. That's not what we're waiting for. What we're doing is cultivating friendliness to this being as it is, to this life as it is, to this moment as it is. It's like that part of you that's capable of, of friendliness is in charge of this imperfect, ever-changing, struggling being as it is. Okay, so the two practices that the Buddha taught for uh, for cultivating friendliness, and this is towards all beings, towards others, and towards oneself, the same same practices are one is looking for the good in the being, and the other is radiating metta. When the Buddha taught it in the earliest teachings of the Buddha, he taught radiating friendliness out of the heart area. And then many hundreds of years later, Buddhist scholars in the Vasudhimaga, the path of purification, Buddhist scholars, Buddhaghosa actually, um, 
created the phrases that are that we use now. And the purpose of the phrases is to help cultivate this, lean us, incline us towards the well-being of friendliness. Because for it's not always easy to just like on a dime go radiate kindness out of your heart. Um, so, so the phrases are these the traditional well-wishing phrases are to wish safety or safe enoughness. However, <laughs> that works for you. Safety, peace, which is considered the highest form of happiness in Buddhism. As much health as is possible with whatever body we've been given in the moment. And ease. Wow, wow. Safety, peace, health, and ease. Yes, I would say to that, those definitely would create well-being if we had them. So it's a wish for those things. Cultivating that friendly energy. So I'm about to lead us in a practice, and it's brief, 10, 15 minutes at the most, probably 10 minutes. But before I do, I just want to say again that... um, Another thing the Buddha said about self-friendliness, one who truly loves themselves could never harm another. That this friendliness that we're cultivating for ourselves doesn't remove us from people or make us better than people or turn us into navel gazers. It connects us. And every bit of the muscle that we cultivate, whether we're cultivating friendliness for ourselves or we're cultivating friendliness for others, every bit of the friendliness muscle that we cultivate is available to offer out. Pema Chodron says, what you do for yourself, any gesture of kindness, any gesture of gentleness, any gesture of honesty and clear seeing towards yourself will affect how you see your world, how you experience your world. In fact, it will transform how you experience the world. What you do for yourself, you're doing for others. Okay. So, um, I'm going to lead us in a short loving-kindness practice. This is a traditional Buddhist practice, but this particular adaptation of it comes from wonderful Buddhist teacher Christiane Wolf. Okay, I'm finding a posture that's comfortable enough. And inviting some relaxation if that's possible.
relaxing the body to whatever extent is available right now and also the mind and we're not trying to make anything happen just inviting Okay, start by bringing attention to your chest, your physical heart. Wherever you feel kindness and connection in the body, if you do feel it. So this could be in the area of the chest or the general heart area. Could be down lower in the belly or it could be up through the front body or face. People also sometimes feel different parts of the body, this sense of resonance. So just checking in with body sensation. It's also fine if you don't feel anything right now. And notice if your heart feels open or closed right now or anything in between. Checking in, not in order to change anything, but just in order to be aware. Remember, in this practice, we're working with intention, not demanding or even asking anything, simply inclining. And the intention is cultivating an open heart and a friendlier stance towards ourselves and others. As we go along, if it feels inauthentic or fake, that's actually fine. Just acting as if just practice. So now, bringing to mind a being that you feel some connection with. Could be a friend or loved one. A pet, somebody who is kind to you. Whoever you choose is fine. No need to like look for the perfect one and do just choose one for the practice. And whoever you choose, imagining this being here with you, maybe sitting somewhere near you if that imagery works for you. And if it's possible, invoke some detail in your visual image that can help with the sense of connection. So eye color, just what do they really look like? And if that's not possible, a felt sense is great as well.
Maybe feeling your gratitude for this being in your life. Maybe recalling something that you like about them or something kind that they've done. Now, starting to send this being friendly wishes or loving kindness. I'll be saying some phrases that you can repeat silently to yourself. Can help to get a sense of the meaning of the words, even if you're not feeling this way right now. And feel free to adapt them. May you be safe and protected from internal and external harm. May you be safe and protected from internal and external harm. May you be truly happy and deeply peaceful. May you be truly happy and deeply peaceful. May you be as healthy as possible. May you be as healthy as possible. May you live with ease. May you live with ease. Now moving the attention from your friend, this being, to yourself. And just some thoughts before we start that. You can send these phrases to yourself as you are now. Or it could be easier to imagine sending loving kindness to a younger version of yourself. Sometimes it can be helpful to connect with what you like about yourself. Or with your wish, your genuine wish to be happy, which you share with all of us. Or if you like, you can have the being that you were just working with send you these wishes. So choose what works for you, and then I'll offer again these same phrases. May I be safe and protected from internal and external harm. May I be safe and protected from internal and external harm. 
May I be safe and protected from internal and external harm. May I be truly happy and deeply peaceful. May I be truly happy and deeply peaceful. May I be as healthy as possible. May I be as healthy as possible. May I live with ease. May I live with ease. Thank you for your for your kind listening and thanks for your practice. We've just got three minutes left before we close, but it, was there anything anybody um, anything you'd like to say or share about your experience of the practice or your thoughts from the talk or anything else? So uh, I want to put my email in the chat for you, and if it appeals to you to have a half-hour conversation with me about self-friendliness, as I said, I'm gathering these conversations to help me with my book. Some of you have already done them with me. Thank you so much. Um, I'm, I'm, I have a lot, so I'm not in any giant, any giant need but i also really i feel like you're really a wonderful community to have these conversations with so if you're interested send me an email and i'll send you my scheduling link yeah charlie oh he took off got it Okay, well, may the merit of our practice be for the benefit of all beings everywhere, remembering that we too are a part of all beings. May all beings be free of suffering and the causes of suffering, and no peace in the causes of peace. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.